I'm sure as a lot of you have noticed already, I'm not really built for public speaking. I haven't done it in over 10 years. Um, so forgive me if I speak too fast, which often happens. Feel free to wave a hand and do this motion to let me know. Um, you'll see me shake. You'll see me sway about. And I apologize for that. Um, um, also, I, I'm not one that's really built for sermons. It took me a long time after college to even come to a church. Um, I am more built for dialogue and discussion or even argument uh, than I am for sermons. Um, so let me say this. This is not intended to be a strict lesson. It's not intended to be certainly not gospel. Um, it, it, this is more of a series of questions which was my intention from the start, but even as I got near the end of my outline, and Laura can attest to this, it became, to go, it became very clear to me that um, I wasn't finding the answers that I wanted to find. <laughs> so at, at best, I hope that after this, you can walk out of here with uh, more questions and that we can actually then start a dialogue about them because there's things that I don't know and um, things that I'm confused about um, from this topic. Luckily, it clocked in at just 30 minutes, so we'll have an extra 15 to um, chew the fat and figure it all out. So, um, Back in college, I remember a lot of conversations um, pertaining to uh, a particular verse, um, John 15, 19, which I'll read. <clears throat> I can find it. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Which is really strong, a really strong verse. Um, I remember a lot of discussions late into the night um, talking about this. This is kind of where we get the phrase, in the world, not of the world, and, and that whole discussion and argument comes from. Um, and I remember at the time saying things like, the world is divided into two groups. The world is divided into Christians, and the world is divided into and then everybody else. Um, and I specifically remember naming that group humanists. And the reason why we did that was because we figured every other belief system was essentially humanist. You know, you had to, where Christianity says that Christ does it for you. Everything else says that you take care of yourself. So whether it's a religion, you work towards that religion. You work towards nirvana. You uh, work towards an entrance into the kingdom of heaven through works. Um, if you're an atheist, you, this is all you got. So you are the one doing the best that you can. And even though back then I was um, hopefully less wise than I am now, um, I, and that is, it has become increasingly clear to me that that view of the world is way too simplistic. But I have noticed that a lot of Christians and Christian leaders um, show signs of leaning that way, uh, um, which I find troubling. Um, the, uh, yeah. Um, what one thing that really started to challenge this idea 
for me uh, was a particular relationship that I had uh, and still have uh, with a gentleman who is a professed atheist. And um, we kind of bonded over movies and other things, and um, that led into a lot of philosophical discussions about arts that eventually led to religion. And I spent a lot of time with him. And what I saw in this man's life was really interesting. He was angry about a lot of things, but he also backed that up with action. He volunteered and donated money to uh, various um, uh, philanthropists and and uh, and things like that. He also is very active uh, taking care of animals and abused animals and such. And um, I began to see that in this man's life there were many things that he did that were what we would categorize as Christian, as Christian love, as Christian caring. Um, yet he had no real basis for it. And I I feel like a lot of times, especially with atheism, which is could not be more opposite than what we believe, we tend to think that anybody who's on the other side of the line from us, right? If the Christians are 10%, the rest of the world is the 90%. The rest of the world, the unsaved, are incapable of doing anything but hate us. They are completely separate from Christ. We have these answers, we have the truth, and anything that they might say, whether intentional or not, will eventually um, taint us or corrupt us. And now, that is obviously a possibility um, in the prayer of confession today. There was a talk about that, but I, don't, I also don't think that it's mandatory. Um, so as I began to really question these things, I, I thought a lot about another experience I had regarding atheists. Um, I worked one time with the producer of a film. He was a Christian. It was a Christian film called Expelled. It um, was supposed to be a documentary. It was really more of a propaganda piece. Um, And what they were trying to do was shed light on teachers uh, in the academic community who had lost their jobs um, because they they taught science classes and they professed to believe in intelligent design. Um, throughout the documentary, it, it, they make a lot of weak arguments. Um, and there's one scene in particular where they actually travel to Europe and they go to um, a former concentration camp. And over these images of the death room and all these terrible things, they are talking about how awful it is that these atheists believed in Darwinism and then therefore they committed genocide. And there's an interesting kind of rhetorical thread through that thought process, and I'm not going to say that it isn't something that you can think about and, and ponder, but they treated it like it was a math equation. Like, you know, look, obviously atheists did this. This is what atheists do. And which goes completely counter to my experience with atheists and the ones that I have met. And it's it, obviously that's a really extreme example, and it seems kind of silly. But it was possible for these men, who I met, and in other every other aspect of their life, these producers seemed completely rational and well-rounded, could come to this conclusion. So it's possible. It is possible, I think, to get so into that mindset of us and them, and this uncrossable divide that we that. W- 
we could actually get to the point where we are maybe accusing people around us or thinking that people around us could uh, commit those atrocities and whatnot. When in fact, things like that, which do happen and are terrible, um, often have far more factors in play than we think about. And I don't think it's just a matter of someone's particular philosophy or worldview that comes into play with those types of things. I found the allegations that those producers made to be really disturbing. Um, and I would even go as far as to say that they were bordering on viewing atheists as less than human. And if you get as far as seeing them as less than human, you it all starts off with just viewing them as less than you. Um, and that is the danger, I think, um, in how Christians in the modern church, particularly the Western church, um, tend to view unsaved people. Forgive me for looking at my notes too much. I found when I was younger that I shut myself off from people around me. Uh, right after college, I started working in the film industry and was surrounded by every type of person that you would imagine. And at times it was supportive, at times it was oppressive. But I had been trained by my Christian upbringing to ignore it all, to shut it out, to not connect. Um, I remember refusing to enter particular philosophical conversations with people without needing to lead with scripture and needing to like directly give them the gospel, which is, it's great to give people the gospel, but like uh, thinking that somehow it kind of worked as the shield or a, a magic spell, or it's like, okay, if I just blur out the gospel and I do this, that'll take care of everything. And, and rather than actually dialoguing and having an exchange with them. And um, that's something that I know that's something that I no longer hold to. Um, and obviously that has some risks, but I really do believe that the Holy Spirit kind of um, intercedes and protects you a little bit. In regards to this idea of us viewing non-Christians as less than us, um, there's a particular example that I think affects us in this church, particularly being that we're in Southern California. Um, and it's a, a particular civil rights issue that I think the modern church is, is failing at. Um, so let me just give you some, statist- some statistics on it before I kind of go into the details. I found a lot of this stuff to be um, upsetting. In the United States in 2011, there were 30 reported fatally violent hate crimes against uh, gay and lesbians. Statistically, fatal hate crimes against transgendered people in the um, in America range up to 50 percent higher than that. Um, fatally violent hate crimes is just a different way of saying they were murdered for who they were. Across the board, when compared to heterosexuals, homosexual and transgendered people have less health care. They have poor overall health. They are more likely to have cancer. 
They are more likely to be intact in schools when they are younger. They are more likely to be overweight, to be in need of psychological care. Gay, lesbian, and transgendered youth are 25% more likely to commit suicide than heterosexuals, and transgendered adults are a whopping 48% more likely to suffer from suicidal thoughts. Obviously, it's easy to quantify who might actually be physically attacked, things like quantifying how many people are having suicidal thoughts. Um, obviously, those numbers, in my mind, would be much bigger than that because those have to be underreported. <clears throat> when I talked with Damon about this sermon and this section in particular, I told him what I told you is really just a bunch more of questions that I don't know the answer to, and he agreed that that was the best way to approach it. I know that this particular section and this particular topic is controversial. It's murky. It's incredibly complex. Um, I'm not going to get too much into whether homosexuality is right or wrong. I will a little bit. I'm not going to say whether it's a choice or biologically mandated, and I'm not going to say whether uh, the government should recognize gay marriages. I'm not going to say whether that's good or bad. Um, those are topics for a larger conversation, a very important conversation. Um, but I want to focus more on how we as Christians view homosexuals and treat homosexuals and transgender people based on what I said previously about how we think about atheists and that whole thing. When you weigh all of the factors, I think the bottom line is, is there is a subgroup of America that is suffering and crying out. They, might, they are crying out for Christ. They are also crying out for... Um, physical things for to be psychological needs like being recognized and being loved. They're also crying out for health care because they're actually in troubled physically. And it occurs to me, based on my understanding of the Bible, which is very cursory and based on the English translation, for the sake of this discussion and this argument, um, I will say that according to the book of Romans, Paul is very clear um, that homosexuality is wrong. But let's think about what that, what that means. It means definitely that it is a sin and that people are participating in it are in a state of sin. But that's something that we share in common with them. It's something that actually brings them closer to us than farther away. Um... To illustrate this, uh, because I have to use at least one movie example, uh, otherwise I wouldn't be me, um, I recently had a conversation with a NASA engineer regarding the movie Gravity, and we were discussing how fast they're flying around in that movie and how fast they're crashing into things. And I asked him, and he said, well, relative to what? I said, what do you mean? And he said, well, they're all moving at 20,000 miles an hour, which I knew. I've learned that, but it was just a, in that moment, it was crystal clear to me, and, and it was so shocking to me. And I was doing more research on it and really started thinking about how that's true of even us here on Earth. Like, we're all, the Earth is spinning at a thousand miles an hour from west to east. So, if you were to walk out this door and head due east, you're not walking at two miles an hour, you're actually moving at a thousand miles per hour, a thousand and two miles per hour. And the thing is, ah, crap. The thing is, is that. To somebody outside looking at that, we're, we're all traveling at this incredible rate of speed. But to us, 
since we're all doing it together, it, we don't notice, right? So variations in our speed are minimal. Like who's, someone's going two miles an hour, someone's going 10 miles an hour. Really, who cares? And so analogously, like it, let's say <laughs> if we're all rocketing towards hell at 20,000 miles an hour, this is a terrible thing to God. And he is separate from it. Of course, it is a terrible thing. But the thing is to us as sinners, We can't tell. I mean, we're all, we're all in it together. So, things that we, we look at somebody who is sinning and is participating in something that we consider vile, wrong, and, and, and contrary to God. It, it, it may very well be, but to God, like we're all, I don't know. I just don't see that. I, don't, I think that the difference matters drastically to us and should matter to us. But in the grand scheme of things, what's an extra 10 miles an hour? Um, sorry, that's how I think it's probably a weird analogy. And I apologize if it's more confusing than, than it clarifies. I'd like to read a couple of sets of verses to put things in perspective. Uh, the first set of verses will explain how the church, early church, dealt with sin outside of its body. Um, and the second set will explain how Christ taught we should treat sin outside of the church. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 9 through 13 say this. This is Paul. I wrote you in my letter not to associate with immoral people. I did not at all mean with the immoral people of the world or with the covetous and swindlers or with the idolaters for then you would have to go out of the world. But actually, I wrote to you not to associate with any so-called brother if he is an immoral person or covetous or an idolater or a reviler or a drunkard or a swindler, not even to eat with such a person. For what have I to do with judging others? Do you not judge those who are within the church? But those who are outside, God judges. Remove the wicked man from among yourselves. To supplement that, here is what Jesus had to say on the topic from his Sermon on the Mount. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven, for he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. If you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. Therefore, you are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Um, to clarify, those are both instances of how we as Christians are supposed to treat sinners outside of the church. Um, here are some modern quotes from very famous Christian leaders, current Christian leaders, many of which are considered moderate, 
And I want you, based on the scripture that we just heard, uh, listen to the language of some of these quotes, which I will keep anonymous. Whether it's at the heart of a religious scandal, political corruption, radical legislation, or the redefinition of marriage, homosexual interests have come to characterize America. That's an indication of the success of the gay agenda. Another quote. Homosexuality itself is a judgment on the human race because we have exchanged the glory of God for the creature and so is AIDS and cancer and arthritis and Alzheimer's and every other disease and every other futility and misery in the world, including death. The next two quotes are from very famous Christian figure, also considered a moderate. The first quote is from 1997. The second quote is from 2012, so there's a 15-year difference, and you need the two to kind of illustrate the change in thought. First quote is this. When he was um, followed by a reporter hounding him to talk about um, gay marriage and, and other topics, this is what he said. There are other sins. Why do we jump on that sin as though it's the greatest sin? Fifteen years later, in 2012, as they were preparing to uh, put vote on legislation in North Carolina that would make uh, gay marriage very, very difficult, he wrote the following statement um, that was published in 14 newspapers. And it said this, I believe the home and marriage is the foundation of our society and must be protected. I want to urge my fellow North Carolinians to vote for the marriage amendment, God bless you, as your vote. Think about some of the language in those quotes. Agenda. We need to protect ourselves. Homosexuality is a judgment on the human race akin to death and disease and AIDS. And think about statements that are made by vocal Christians, things like the war on Christmas, the war on marriage. They're violent terms. They're accusatory terms. And there's not a lot of room for nuance. Not going to get into the theology behind these statements. I want to focus on the statement themselves and really challenge us to consider if they are made in love. To condense these and to illustrate them back to back, I know that was a ton of stuff I just quoted. Let me put it like this. Here's Paul. What have I to do with judging others? Christ, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Modern Christian leader. Homosexuality itself is a judgment on the human race and so is AIDS and cancer and every other disease and every other futility and misery in the world including death. The disparity between these statements is staggering to me. And I really believe that the men that are saying these things and saying them in the way that they are saying them Are falling into they're falling into a trap. They are falling into what I talked about at the beginning. This idea that it is just us and it is just them. Because if you believe that you are part of ten percent and the rest of the world hates you, you're going to be defensive. You're going to attack. And I know that if I had had that mindset with the friend that I mentioned earlier, who that was an atheist, I never would have learned from him. I never, let alone the fact that 
I've gotten to share the gospel because of my relationship with him. And the reason why I have is because he saw that I was willing to listen to him and actually have a dialogue with him. Um, but I also feel that, like, and this may be controversial, I feel like he taught me more about Christ. He may not have intended to. I, I, but it wasn't just about me sharing the gospel with him. He made me a better person and continues to do so. I, 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 I struggle, and again, as I do not... I do not intend this to be didactic. I don't intend this to be the gospel truth. Because I, I, I honestly don't know. But I, what the Spirit is leading me to believe is that I cannot say these things or adhere to these things and still claim that I show love. There's another element to this that um, makes it even more difficult. The verses that I quoted both uh, from Christ and from the Apostle Paul are specifically in regards to sinners outside of the church. It makes things a little easier. Paul specifically says that we should shun and put a wall of sorts between ourselves and people that are sitting within the church. And that's where things get a little troubling. Um, there's a woman named Rachel Held Evans. She manages a blog. Um, I suggest you Google her. Um, she's young. Well, depending on your point of view, she's about my age. Um, but she's a great thinker. She's a very interesting person. She's a Christian. She's straight. Um, and, and uh, she keeps a blog on theology and Christian topics. She's written a couple of books. And um, uh, recently she was invited to speak at this huge convention of gay, lesbian, bisexual, and transgendered Christians. So this is not people, these are people actually claiming to be in the church and to have the Holy Spirit and to believe that Christ is Lord. And she was confused by this. She doesn't speak regularly on these sorts of topics um, and so she was confused why they would invite a straight woman to come down there and speak but she invited the invitation obviously with reservations but she tried to keep an open mind and she has written a particular blog post on this which is staggering what she found when she was there was love and compassion but also a lot of confusion and arguing and anger and After the seminars at this convention, as people would be gathering afterwards or getting up to ask questions and arguing, even when things got heated, even things when things got vicious, there was it was always followed by forgiveness. And she met different people when she was there. She met Christians who uh, felt the who were gay, who felt like it was all right according to the Bible to pursue same-sex relationships. She also met gay people who felt that they should swear themselves to a life of celibacy and that they may be this way, but God required them not to act on it. And through all of this, the thing that I took away reading her descriptions of this event is that even though we tend to think of the Christian walk as constantly being crystal clear and this right and wrong math equation that we can figure out, 
in my life has not been that way. I would, I would place money on the fact that anybody who's a really Christian, really a Christian has had so much confusion in their lives about it. And when I look at the descriptions of these people at this convention, all I see is Christ. All I see is real faith and real Christians working out their salvation in fear and trembling. Which poses a lot of troubling questions. Amidst all of this, this woman that was at this convention who was also confused managed to find some clarity um, when she was approached by a man and and in the conversation she asked him why why are why did they have why would they bring me here to speak and this man had traveled all the way from Australia to come to this convention in America to seek like-minded people and to seek out this topic and stuff and this is what he said to her he said i think we connect with your work because you write so much about jesus for a lot of us everything about religion has been taken away all we have left is jesus so we love to talk about him. Um, I was doing this research when Laura was in the room and she looked over and was worried at me because I started, I read that quote and started crying. Um, I mean, because that's Christianity right there. That's, I, here are these people that are, are, are a part of the subgroup that is so controversial. These are people that are seeking out Christ. And, through amidst all of this, they weren't gathering just to talk about controversial topics. Um, many of the seminars were specifically just about Christ and just about general Christian topics. And people had traveled all the way from Australia just for the opportunity to do what we do here every week. I don't have a lot to add to that, <laughs> other than that it deeply affected me um, and further confused me as to what to think about. Christians who claim they are gay. That's as far as I got in my outline, such as it was, um, before I started to feel very burdened from what I can only call the Holy Spirit. Um, I've had a lot of conversations. Titus and I used to live together, and um, he's experienced this with me before, like when I'm working on stories or whatever, and something isn't right. Um, not that I write a lot of theology, but if I feel like something is just slightly morally off or something in my writings, he would often go, well, it's probably the Holy Spirit, and he would encourage me to, to seek it out. And he, 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 he's seen me in that state before. And that's how I was, that's how I was the other night. Because um, the math equation, since I always try to reduce everything and make it and oversimplify it, what popped into my head was this. If Paul says homosexuality is wrong, and in Corinthians, Paul says that we are to shun believers that are in sin. How do we show them love? Like, how do I justify this conference when my gut tells me, when the Spirit tells me that I may not agree with everything, but what went on there and goes on with these people is seems to be glorifying to Christ to a certain degree. And it was in looking back at this and dealing with this weird pain and emotion that I was having about it. And then I really looked back at Corinthians and I was looking at what Paul was describing. When when Paul was talking about 
separating ourselves from people in the church that are immoral. He was using terms like covetous and idolater or reviler or a drunkard or a swindler. The direct context was about a man who was sleeping with his, what is described as his father's wife, which I'm assuming is his mother. Um, and when I look at the people that were described in this article and I look at particular homosexuals that I have had the pleasure of knowing in my life, an atheist or Buddhist or Muslims or anybody who falls on the other side of that wall, that other 90%, the people other than us, the unsaved. I have met people that hate me. And as a group and as a collective, maybe they are bound to hate us. But the thing is, is it changes with individuals. And when somebody that you know who believes these things doesn't fit this description of covetous, reviler, you know, drunkard, swindler, swindler, I, I would pose this question. Is that then okay? Does that make it okay to commune with them, to be a brother to them, to not put up this wall that Paul talks about in Corinthians and keep ourselves pure from them? I will admit that I have not come to a conclusion on that. I am not asking you guys to. Um, but it is something that I would love to talk more to you all about because it's really, really troubling me. Going back to John fifteen nineteen, um, which says explicitly that the world hates us, I would pose this. Maybe the world hates us, but the world is comprised of individuals and there is a difference between the, there's a difference between group thought and group think and mentality and what individuals do so maybe maybe there are individuals that don't hate us i know that there are i've met them and i think that it is important as christians to cling to that because as we get into the thought process thinking about everybody against us. Um, it might help us in our behavior to be more loving if we remember that out of the millions of people who may be against what we believe, those millions of people are a million, millions of individuals who we can show love to and who if we connected to on an individual basis, who we show grace to, Exactly the same way that grace sought, or grace, that Christ sought us out as individuals and showed grace to us. Maybe that is what we're supposed to do and maybe that is the difference as we get caught up in this big argument about right or wrong of different worldviews that maybe, maybe the way around that and to, and the way to reach them and the way to have proper conversations about these things is to approach them as individuals and not a faceless mass of people who we're taught to believe is out to get us. Um, that's all I got. I realize that that's like all over the place. Like I said, it's just more of a series of questions. Um, I apologize that it's not better formed. But as I said, uh, if we want to get coffee and hang out afterwards, it's something that I would really, really love to talk about. Um, I know this church is not used to, um, you know, questions in this format or whatever. So I, um, um, I will finish with the uh, 
doxology. I'm supposed to do the benediction, which I don't think I put up here. Um, so let's go ahead and pray. Um, and then I will, we could do the doxology. Um, and then I would love to talk to you more about it. So, <clears throat> Lord, thank you for helping everybody to endure that. I know it was all over the place, um, and I know my thoughts are all over the place on this subject. Um, I am torn between the Spirit leading me to show love and much of what I've taught seeming to contradict that. And I would pray that um, I would be able to figure these things out um, with the help of the Spirit and with the help of your Word. And I pray that, as messy as this talk may have been, that it spurs on some sort of conversation um, with the people in this congregation. Um, I thank you for your love. I thank you for your son who died for us and shows us grace and treats us as individuals. In your name, amen.